Our speaker tonight is John Maisel. Uh, he told me I couldn't say very much about him, so I won't, but I've known John for my 26 years at High Ground. Uh, that's when I got to know him. Uh, he is founder of East West Ministries. They plant churches in um, uh, countries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, countries with less than 1% Christian. He goes into the darkest places of the world to spread the word of Christ. And the only th other thing I'm going to say about John is I know of no one else who is more focused in, his, in every single day about bringing people to the Lord Jesus. So with that, John. Thank you, brother. You know, it's so great to, uh, when you come to a place like this, to hear from the guys that we've heard share, you know, these last, this last day and night before last, and this morning, my brother and Kelly, thank you for the flag you're carrying in the marketplace uh, today. These are, uh, these are interesting times that we live in. And I think you've heard several of the speakers talk about uh, the seriousness of the times that we're in. And serious uh, times uh, require serious thinking. And serious thinking for the Christian involves an intense focus, I believe, upon God's point of view. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a statement one time. Uh, you know, he was the one who stood against Nazi Germany, cost him his life, Nazi prison camp, and so forth. And he said this, throughout human history, the most important period of time is the present moment. End of quote. Let's pray. Father, uh, you've uh, called us to live at this time, a time that uh, a lot of changes are taking place, a time in which your gospel is exploding around the world, but it seems to be retreating uh, in our own country here. So we pray that uh, you would come and instruct us tonight as it relates to what it means to be men who stand in the gap, men that uh, have our identity in Christ and Christ alone. So may your sweet spirit come and speak, and would you give us ears to hear, and I ask that you manifest the truth of your word uh, to each of us in accordance to wherever we might be in our personal walk. So we give you our time, we love you, and we pray in the King's name, Father. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that uh, uh, you've heard, as I said, uh, most of the guys talking about uh, all the changes uh, that are taking place, and the seriousness of the time, the fact that Christians need to really understand really what their identity is, why are you still here since you've been captured by Christ. Uh, I think God has wired all of us to, uh, whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever, to live for something or someone. And for the Christian, that something is the sake of the gospel, that someone is the person of Jesus Christ. We're all familiar with the fact that uh, Jesus said, you want to find your life, once I take up residence within your life, let me tell you the secret. Lose your life for my name's sake and the sake of the gospel. I think that there's uh, probably one issue that men like you and I struggle with. It's not what we might classify as, you know, the big struggles over here. Although Satan comes and 
knocks on our door on a daily basis. Uh, and uh, no matter where you are in your walk, you can be sure the enemy is trying to take you down, compromise you, take you out of the fight. But people like us, we, most of us go to Bible-believing churches. We're taught great truth on a daily basis. But it is so easy for people like us to become engaged with what I'd like to call postponed obedience. We're, uh, you hear a message, we've heard these marvelous guys talk out of their heart about what God has taught them and, and what God has laid upon their heart. Uh, and we, we leave here and we say, gosh, that great man, what great truth and so forth. And we believe that, but something happens by Wednesday, we pretty much forgot what the message was. And we knew it was a good message, we knew it was a good truth. But many times what happens is that we intend to obey, to step into the arena of that truth. But something gets in the way and we have to postpone it. Many times it's, it's uh, people that uh, we say, well, well, that's so truth, but I can't risk my job, just like Kelly was talking about. If I go public with Jesus, it, it might cost me my career. Or, yeah, I intend to do that, but yeah, you know, we've got to get the kids educated first. Or we've uh, got to get the business built. And, and, and so many times with people like us, these are not big issues as far as big sins. They're reasonable alternatives to what the Spirit of God would have you and I believe and step into so it might demonstrate his presence and his power. I'm uh, not sure that I understand all of this uh, issue about revival. We've got a lot of people talking about revival, praying about revival, and absolutely so. I hope all of us are praying for revival. But I'm not sure that, that I guess the Holy Spirit comes at a, at a certain time. People say many times to me, John, where's the, where's the Holy Spirit of the book of Acts? And I said, that's the wrong question. It's not the Holy Spirit of the book of Acts. It's where the men and women of the book of Acts that uh, allowed the Holy Spirit to do that which he wanted to do, no matter what the cost, in and through them, is, is the critical question. And somewhere along the line, the key, I believe, to revival is uh, we don't need any more truth. We just need to begin to obey the truth that Jesus Christ has made clear to each of us and not postpone it. In other words, uh, the motivation as it relates to this is Jesus over and over again, he says, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth. And then he tacks on in John 8 where he says, and, I, and, and you should know the truth and the truth will make you free, but you'll never experience the freedom or the life that Jesus wants to give you until you step into his truth, no matter what the cost might be. And many times there is cost. I was, uh, I was out in Santa Fe uh, I guess it was in the fall of last year. Somebody had given us a house to use for a few days, and I was out there and so forth. And Susie and I, my wife, we were down on the square of Santa Fe, and they had the band that was playing. And uh, the park was filled, and there happened to be this woman. I, I mean, you know, great music. This woman, she was just dancing. You know, Santa Fe, I mean, free spirits. And, and, and boy, she's just all in herself and just delighted. And she was swinging, and she didn't care who was there. And so they quit praying, and I was sitting on a, sitting on a bench. 
And a little later, uh, about 30, 40 minutes later, she came and she sat down on the bench. And I, uh, Susie was out <laughs> looking at shops or something uh, with somebody else, and, and I said, boy, I really, uh, really enjoyed your dancing this morning. And she said, uh, oh, thank you. And I immediately, accent, she has an accent. And I said, oh, wh where are you from? And she said, well, I'm from Germany. I said, oh, from Germany. I said, uh, fantastic. I said, how did you get from Germany to Santa Fe, New Mexico? And she says, and I said, God? She said, yes. And I said, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And she says, oh, no. No. If I follow Jesus Christ, I would have to obey Jesus Christ. Womp. So what I'd like to do tonight is to look at a passage of Scripture which gives us some insight as it relates to what it means to obey Jesus Christ. And the passage I'm going to uh, share is in Matthew 14, and I'm not going to read, you know, all the context and so forth. Most of you are familiar with it. But it is a great passage, I think, to give us insight on what it means to do what I can do and factor Jesus in for the impossible of what he's asking us to do. Now, I want to give you some premises. The premises are that when Jesus asked you to do something, the odds will always be against you. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this passage. The second thing I want you to have a framework on as we look at these passages is that when Jesus asked you to get involved in something, when the odds are against you, he intends to get involved in the process with you. But Jesus will not demonstrate himself until you step through your fear or your postponed obedience or what it might be and obey the truth that he has given you. And the third thing I want you to keep in mind that if you do not do what God asked you to do, the greatest consequence of that is that you never get to see what God might have done if you had stepped into that arena of fear, of truth. This passage that we have here in, in uh, Matthew 14 it's a passage, in, starting in verse 13, Jesus had withdrawn from a lonely place. He was out there. He was healing. He was preaching. It was coming evening. There were about 5,000 men. Most people think anywhere from maybe 10 to 15,000 when you consider the women and children. So you got a mob out there of 10 to 15,000 people that Jesus has been meeting with. And the disciples are very, very logical. They see they got a problem on their hands. And so, so they come to Jesus, and it says, uh, the disciples came to him and say, the place is desolated, 
and the time is already uh, uh, late. Send the multitudes away that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus says, teaching point. And Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Great Jesus. That's the joke of the day. 15,000 people. And Jesus says, you guys give them something to eat. And of course, they say it's an impossible task. And they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes. So it's obvious that I'm going to do what Jesus has said because they look at the five loaves and the two fishes. They look at 15,000 people and they say, no way, Jose. That's the joke of the day. Uh, and then Jesus says, let me have it. And so they bring the five loaves and the two fish and they give it to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he says, Father, thank you. We've got a great teaching moment for these disciples. Uh, show them and demonstrate your presence. And then he takes these 12 guys. Now imagine, five loaves of bread, two fish, 12 baskets with 12 disciples. And <laughs> you break five loaves up and you put two fish in there. It's, it's a bunch of crumbs in baskets that they might have. So Jesus gives this to them and he says, okay guys, I'll tell you what you do. You guys just start giving it away. And probably one of them said uh, to Thomas, Thomas, you need to plan an escape route here because we're getting ready to see a riot that takes place. We're not even going to get past the first row and these people are going to mob us. But you know, we better do what he told us to do. And so they start giving it away. They start doing what Jesus told them to do. And all of a sudden, they're about the second, third row. And can you see these just deadly? Are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? Or I can't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of the pack and, and the basket, and you know the story. They feed 15, 10 to 15,000 people. They get at the end, and to put an exclamation mark on it, they've got 12 baskets full. Now, immediately after that, and there's two stories here, and the two I think are connected to look at this issue of obedience that's before us. He comes here, and then it says he sent them away. And then in verse 22, immediately after he sent them away, he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side, and he sent the multitudes away. After he sent the multitudes away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. I can just see him. Oh, Father, fantastic. Thank you for demonstrating yourself today with my men. The hope of the world is in those men, Father. Thank you for what you showed them today. Just a time with the Father. Now, these guys, they get in the boat. And then it says, but the boat, uh, uh, after he had sent the multitudes away, he went into the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was late, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stratas away, battered by the waves. The wind was contrary to it. Fourth watch, about six in the morning, Jesus comes walking on the water. The disciples saw him walking on the water, and they were afraid, and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he says, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And about this time, Peter starts connecting the dots. And he says, 
You know, when we were feeding those 5,000 people, made up about 15,000, with five loaves of bread and two fish, he knew we couldn't do that. That was impossible. But what he wanted us to do is simply to do what we could do and factor him in for the impossible. And the light goes on with Peter. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus, I can just see, he's out there on the water, he's got a grin, ear to ear, and he said, oh, Father, he's catching it. And he says one thing to Peter, come. And then Peter does the only thing that Peter can do is that he goes to the side of the boat and he puts one leg over one side and one over the other and he pushes himself off and he factors Jesus in for the impossible. And the text says he walked on the water. Only two men in all of human history that have walked on water. Jesus but Peter. And Peter, as long as Jesus was factored into his equation, the supernatural took place. And then you guys know the stories, just like us. We're out there, and all of a sudden, the waves are coming, and he's looking around the storm. He's saying, my gosh, what am I doing out here? And he starts sinking. And Jesus all of a sudden grabs his hand, took hold of him, and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. Now listen, men, and those who were in the boat worshipped him. You are certainly God's son. Now, I want you, I want to take the Apostle Paul. And I want to show you how Paul was very, very fearful one time, and he applied this principle. He said, Paul, Paul never got afraid of anything. I mean, you know, he was, he was articulate. He was, uh, he was uh, a debater. He could out-argue anybody. He was bold. He was such and such. No, no. Over in Acts 18, you see where Paul has come all the way down to Corinth. You know, he got the vision. He went over to Philippi. Then, you know, he got kicked out of there. He comes down to Thessalonica. Long story, he gets to Athens. From Athens in Acts 17, he comes to Acts 18, and, and he's in Corinth. And there's something that takes place in Corinth. And the Spirit of God says... Uh, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Paul, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this place. 
something had happened. I don't know whether it was accumulation of everywhere Paul went, all the way from Philippi to Thessalonica to Athens. They're kicking him out. They're beating him up. Everything is taking place. But I can tell you this was real because when Paul writes back over in uh, to the church in Corinth, he describes how he feels. Now listen to this. This is what Paul is saying about this encounter. In, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he said, And came to the brother, and I did, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimonies of God. For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now listen to this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now guys, I've been scared before. I've been in situations where I didn't know whether I was going to live or die and the dynamics and the chaos and all that kind of stuff that goes. But I've never trembled. But Paul's description under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that he's in a set of circumstances and he's scared to the point of trembling. But he tells us as a result of God saying, Paul, I'm with you. Go on speaking. Step into the arena that I have given you, that my spirit might be released in and through you. And Paul says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest upon the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In other words, he's, he wasn't saying, hey, I'm some silver-tongued, eloquent person that just mesmerizes people by the way I speak. He said, I, 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 sh, 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 shaking. And, and, and the words that came out, they weren't eloquent, but they were delivered by the Spirit. Why? Paul did what he could do, and he stepped into the arena of his fear, and it released the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God began to work. Now, Paul had no idea the implication of his circumstances, of what God intended to do in that situation as it relates to the church giving birth in Corinth. He had no idea. All God was saying to him, you step into your fear, you factor me in and my presence and my desire to get involved in a situation in which the odds are against you and you release my presence to go to work and accomplish my purposes. And so what do we have here? In the midst of his fear, he stepped into it and he obeyed God. And 2,000 years later, you and I are sitting here discussing that particular situation that demonstrated and glorified Christ himself and the Spirit of God planted a church Paul had no idea what his obedience involved in the ripple effect of that moment of his fear. Two thousand, the last 2,000 years, tens of millions of people have read 1 and 2 
Corinthians and it has encouraged them and infused them in their walk in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it is with us. We might not have the basis of being able to uh, maybe see a church started or see a text that would appear in, in Scripture that's behind us. God has given us his revelation. But I guarantee you this, that if God had stepped back and he had said, you know, I've been obedient in a lot of situations, but I, 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 just, I just can't step into this. God, it's, it's, it's not right what you're asking me to do. I need a break. Or he had a Christian experience in which he went about picking and choosing what he would obey when the Spirit of God taught him something in Scripture. And he said, not now, but later. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not ready for that. Paul's the model because in his humanness, that we all struggle with. He knew that if he would do what God asked him to do and factor Jesus in for the impossibility, God would demonstrate himself and go to work in his behalf. Now, what if Paul hadn't done this? What would have been the result if, if, if Paul said... Hey, I need a break, Lord. <laughs> I'm beat up too much. I, I, I need some R&R on this. You know what would have happened? God would have just raised up somebody else to start the church in Corinth. And you know what? Paul would have missed it. He would have missed what God wanted to do through an ordinary, shaking, scared-to-death scenario of identifying with Jesus Christ and the sake of the gospel, no matter what the implications might be. He would have missed it. It's just like Esther. Uh, who was it that brought up uh, Mordecai, uh, shared with us a little bit out of... Uh, uh, what Mordecai was doing and so forth. And against the Jews, and Esther, you know the story, had to go into the king, and if Esther went into the, Esther goes into the king, uh, the, uh, Esther can have her head chopped off, but, but Mordecai, the uncle, says, Esther, you got to go into the king. And who knows, Esther? You have been born for a time such as this, Esther. you got to go in. You know what Esther says? She says, you get everybody praying for me. I'm going in. And she said, if I perish, I perish. But she stepped into it. And you know what Mordecai told her? He said, Esther, oh, by the way, sweetheart, <laughs> if you don't go in, God will just raise up somebody else to take your place. But you'll miss it. You'll miss what God wanted to do in and through you. Now, I'd like for us to, I've got some handouts here, guys. 
you guys that take these. And I'd just like to go down this uh, list that we have on the handouts. And uh, try to draw some things out that I touched on. But I want you to take this with you. And uh, we're going to have some sharing tonight. So I want to try to make it as brief as possible. But some of these statements that we've made in your own personal walk and your own personal Love affair with Jesus Christ. Uh, Understand, brothers, (laughs) we've got a great Savior that delights in using broken men just like ourselves. You know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is when Paul is uh, writing to the Philippians. And this whole issue of identity that we talk about with unbeliever and believer. Everybody has a desire for significance. Every person in this room, you want your life to matter. You want to have a sense of meaning. You're not just a blip on the radar. You want your life to be important. That's why Jesus said, you lose it for my sake and the sake of the gospel. That's where you find your true identity as it relates to it. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, when he's writing back, and he's kind of going through the gyrations of what happened, he said, my earnest expectation and my only desire is that in everything, Christ will be manifested, whether I live or whether I die. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You and I will probably not have to say that whether I live or whether I die. It's whether I fail or whether I succeed. Whether I get the promotion or I lose the promotion. Whether I get the job or I lose the job. That's what it's going to come to. And boy, you better know what you believe, just as Kelly is putting his finger on it, because it's going to get challenged. And our Jesus that we've been called to, to help other people grow in this relationship and be captured by Christ is a person that's full of grace and truth. The Muslim says, you bow to our God or we kill you. We say, hey, we'd like to present to you such a great Savior. And if you choose to kill us, we'll love you all the way because God will simply just raise up somebody else to do it. But in these takeaways here, number one, As we stated, understand the odds will always be against you, 15,000, five loaves of bread and two fishes. But understand the odds are always against you when a God asks you to do something. That's a reality, guys. Uh, It'll take a Jesus factor. And many times you'll need to do what you need to do in fear and trembling. You'll be You won't be smooth. You may not be eloquent, but I guarantee you, when you step out of that boat and you factor in Jesus, the supernatural takes place. Remember, there were 11 other guys in that boat that were members of the Safeguard Society. So don't get on Peter because he went down. 11 other guys didn't get out. Second one, understand that when God asks you to do something, God intends to get involved. Boy, a passage that I've been chewing on when I go to bed at night and when I get up is a simple statement. I'm with you. 
Think of that. It's a king of glory. I am with you. Guys, I'm not asking you to step into something and abandon you. It's that when you step in, I get to go to work. That's what's at stake. He says here, number three, don't let what you can't do. I, I'd like to point this out. Don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. Most of the time when God asks us to do something, it's bigger than I can. And instead of focusing on, well, I can't do that or the fear of failure or what if or if only, uh, but what if this happens or what if that happens or if only we had more money or if only, you just do what God asks you to do. And when you step, he meets you. And then when you step again, he meets you. And then when you take another step, he meets you and he goes to work. That's the life of faith. Not a life of sight or feeling, as you see. Number four. Somewhere along the line, you've got to make a decision that you rather obey and fail or not obey. That's a critical issue in a walk of faith. Had you rather obeyed and fail or not obey. I think you're up here because you'd rather obey and fail. But when you obey, you may fail as far as your peers are concerned, but you do not fail from the living God's perspective. You see this in the, in, in, in the, in the book of Hebrews. What happens, you, you have all these Hebrews, I mean all of these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, they were mighty in battle. I mean, uh, Daniel, the, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and the lions become his pets. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, you know, he, he, he goes with God, and they throw him in the fire, and they just kind of walk around there. But you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it also says, but others, who were others? Others who lived by faith, who were obedient, who stepped in it when the odds were overwhelming. And what happened? They were thrown the lion's den, and the lions ate them. They were thrown into the fire, and the fire burned them up. I do not know which way God will take us. But I know that when you go with God and you get at the end of your life, you will have no regrets. The scripture is clear. He who honors me, I will honor. I don't care what it costs you. You go with God. And you put that stake in the ground as far as a the lifestyle. Then we come down here. If you don't obey, God will just raise up someone else again. We looked at that. If you don't obey, greatest consequence, you never get to see what God would have done through you. <clears throat> your fears will be the biggest enemy in your life of faith of obedience. Fear of failure. Fear of my inadequacy. I personally believe, guys, that fear at its deepest level is a fear of losing control. And by that I mean that, that when I step into my fear and obey God, I lose control. When I ask a person, uh, have they ever had any 
understanding or any thoughts about who Jesus Christ is. If I make that statement, I've lost control. I don't have the foggiest idea how they're going to respond to it. But when you lay that out there, you give the Spirit of God an opportunity to go to work. Fear of losing something you think is important to make you happy. Somewhere along the line, you got to put the stake in. Do I go with Jesus or do I go with my fears? My fear? <laughs> Just like we heard tonight, it's going to cost you. The cost is going to go up. But oh, does God look for men like us? Just ordinary, broken people who said, I'm going with God. Chips on the table. And however you spin it, guys, only what you and I do ultimately determines what we really believe. You can have all the doctrine and you can, have the, you can know the end times and such and such, but what God looks at, only what you and I do determines what I really believe. That's the importance of obedience. Define faith. You have this in Hebrews 11, faith is confidence, things hoped for, the certainty of not seeing. I'd like to define faith like this. Faith is taking risk in the direction of your hope. That's what it says, faith is confidence of things hoped for. If you believe, hope is not, well, I, I hope so, maybe yes, maybe no. Hope in the Bible is certainty. As Paul says, because we have such great hope, we are very bold. So the hope of Scripture is taking risk in the direction of really what my hope might be. Then he comes down, obey and embrace whatever. Should be Philippians 2, 19, I think. Somewhere along the lines, <laughs> I don't know where I came up with this one. No. Somewhere along the lines, you got to make a decision. You'd rather have failure on your tombstone than disobedient. I think you're up here because you guys have made that decision. Uh, my generation is home free. Uh, guys like Gene and I don't have much time left. Things probably won't change much before God calls us home. You guys that are 30s, below 40s, some of you guys, if you live like this, uh, you may have to go to jail, lose your businesses. My grandkids, probably have the possibility of being martyred. But we got a great savior. We got a great destiny. Postponed obedience is replacing that which I want most for that which I want now. When God gives you light, step into it. Let's pray. Father, uh, Oh, boy, what a great Savior we have. Help us to see the spectacularness of the Lord Jesus. And 
all the saints that have gone before us. That, uh, some, when they stepped in the lion's den, you made the lions their pets. And others, when they were thrown into fire, they were burned alive. But, oh, no regrets. Pray that you would infuse us as men to become leaders of a holy boldness that would begin to ignite the church once again to make much of Jesus publicly in the arenas that you call these men to. Thank you for the destiny of each person here. I pray that you would ravish our hearts with the Lord Jesus and invigorate our souls with his purposes. Thank you for all that's been shared these last couple of days from these men who walk their talk. And I pray that uh, you be with uh, Walter and Jean Damara as they close us out to show us more and more of the loveliness of Jesus. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. Thank you.